Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitudes resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen? Amen. Tonight I want to preach on this thought, transformed by his grace. Transformed by his grace. Amen? Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your people. Lord, I ask your blessing tonight, God, upon our time together with you. That Father, you would help us to learn something about the Lord Teach us the scriptures, remind us of something that maybe we've been taught before. Put your finger on our hearts and our lives. Help us to appreciate grace. And Lord, help us to be thankful for salvation. And Lord, for this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I remember standing right over here beside uh, the organ one time. and, And the Lord just showed me, said, you can never feel good about grace until you first felt bad about sin. Well, that's so true. Centuries ago, there was these workers that were dragging a large marble block block into Florence, Italy. And uh, the huge marble block came from the Carrera Quarry out of Tuscany, Italy. And as they were dragging it in, Uh, it was going to be formed to be one of the largest statutes of a great Old Testament prophet to that date. This was back in the 14 and the 1500s when it happened. And uh, the Italian artists Donatello and Augustino, when they saw it, they said, we're not going to use that marble block because obviously it has way too many imperfections. And so there it laid in the middle of the cathedral yard. It was flawed, it was useless, it was just a a slab of marble. Then one day, another sculptor came by and caught sight of it, and he said, well, that's just what I'm looking for. I see its imperfections, but that doesn't bother me. I see it as a piece of beauty because I'm not looking for it as it is. I see it for what it can be. Amen. So he resolved to begin to sculpt on that large, imperfect flaw marble block, and for two years this great artist, he worked feverishly on this one-time rejected rock. On January the 25th, 1504, he gathered all the townspeople and other great artists to see the unveiling of this great statute that was once despised. Among those assembled were Leonardo da Vinci, Monticello, Raphael, Pietro, Peregrino, they were all there. And when the statue was unveiled of David, they were immediately filled with praise 
and they were instantly acclaiming this as a masterpiece. You see, Michelangelo saw what other artists could not see. He saw beyond the flaws. He applied his talents and he transformed it. Amen. That's exactly what Jesus does to us despised, flawed, rejected sinners. He sees us not for what we are, but for what we can be after he applies himself. Amen. Jesus delights in taking sinners that are imperfect, devastated, and defiled by sin and apply his grace to transform our lives. Jesus will take what other people has passed over and make something beautiful out of it in their life. He will take what other people have rejected, amen, and refused and turn it into a trophy of grace a transformation of the grace of God. Holding your place here, we're turning to the book of Ephesians chapter number two. In Ephesians chapter two, the Bible says in verse number 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're his workmanship. He called us and when he convicts us, and we choose him, we look to him by faith, he converts us. And that's a sovereign act of the grace of Almighty God. Conversion is a forsaking of the old, sinful, miserable life, and it is the following of a new life of purity. It is a putting off of the old man and a putting on of the new man. Amen. It's fleeing from sin and following the Savior. And when I see Levi in these verses, I think about ourselves. Now go back with me to the text in Mark chapter number 2 and verse number 13. I want to see a few things, and I don't know how far we'll get, but number one, I want us to see the seeking Savior. The scripture says, and he went forth again by the seaside. The word and is a conjunction. My English teacher said never begin a sentence with the word and. But the Holy Ghost thought it was okay and he's perfect and he's made a great decision. The word and links to us all these other events. It is continuous action. It is the press and the pace of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not got a day to lose. He does not have an hour to squander. He does not have a second to burn. He has ceaseless activity. Boy, in the ministry, uh, we let too much moss grow under our feet. Amen. If we're really going to follow Jesus, honey, he's in the moving around business. Amen. He's going, amen. He's going to get on with it. The Bible says he went forth again. What does that mean? Without delay, he's pressing forward. He's continuing to launch out. He's con Continuing to reach out that other people might be saved. He, he just continually, uh, think about it, he knows that time is short. You may say, Preacher Darren, that was 2,000 years ago. He had plenty of time. Honey, Jesus has a lot to do, amen. And he knows that eternity is, get, time's gonna stop and eternity is gonna begin, amen. And we better be ready for it. The Bible says he's went by the seashore. Now, the seaside. Remember, he's in uh, Capernaum, which is on the northwest corner 
of the Sea of Galilee. It's a place where sinners dwell like crazy. And he's headquartered his ministry, his ministry there amongst sinners that they might get saved. And the Bible says, all the multitude resorted unto him. What does that mean? Now, he's on the dry shore, but waves of people are coming to him. One after another, there's a steady stream, a continual flow of people that are coming to get around Jesus. And why are they coming? The Bible says. And he taught them. He is teaching. He's instructing. He is preaching. He is proclaiming. He is giving us an exposition of the Word of God. It wasn't a puppet show. It wasn't a magic show. It's not even a healing show. He's preaching the Word and the crowd is gathering by the thousands to hear what he's got to say. And I believe, here's what he's teaching them. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That night at Balfour Baptist Church, July 13, 1978, Jesus came seeking me. He knew where I was, but he came right to my row, knocked on my heart's door. He knew where I was. He found me. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Here is Jesus sharing the word of God. The seeking Savior. Number two. I see in verse 14 the shameful sinner. The Bible says verse 14, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. Now, Jesus saw this man just sitting there at the receipt of custom. He was sitting in worldliness. He was sitting in greed. Uh, he was sitting in unbelief. He was sitting in shame, in the shame and the misery of sin. Just like that block of marble that was rejected and despised and it was left in the cathedral churchyard, there sits Levi being rejected and despised by other people. And the great artist, the great sculptor, the Lord Jesus, came by and saw the shameful sinner sitting there in his sin. I like how the scripture says, and as he passed by. Again, there's the word and. It's connecting. It's a conjunction. It's sovereignly linking things together. As he passed by, Jesus got multitudes following him, but he's still passing by. He didn't stop. He kept on going. You know why? He's got somebody in mind. Oh, preacher, there's, there's multitudes. Yeah, there was multitudes that night at the Balfour Baptist Church. That's three, 350, maybe 400 people. But he come looking for one boy that was lost, amen. He is willing to leave the 99 and find that one which was lost, amen. Do you remember the night or the day he found you? Thank God for it, amen. The Bible says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. I got to thinking about this tax booth. It's probably right there on the seashore. It's probably, there's a major highway that comes through there with an intersection. And I'm just thinking that maybe he's got a raised platform and he's got basically a toll booth. He's not just getting taxes based off the census and the populace. He's not just getting the state and the federal and the FICA and all that stuff that they're getting. He is charging an export tax 
for everything that's exported out on the Sea of Galilee. He's charging an import tax for everything that's brought in from the Sea of Galilee. He's charging an excise tax and a usage tax for everything that comes up and down the highway. Don't you love it how we build these big new highways and it takes you three years of sitting in traffic before they finally get it built and then it's only built for special people that's willing to get in a certain lane and you had to sit and suffer all these years and you know your tax dollars was at work and you're sitting around and they're driving right by you. Getting the, and you got to pay. Levi is in charge of that business. He's going to take the money from the people, his own people. Listen, here's what he's done. He went to the Roman government as a Jew himself and offered his services and bid and said, listen, I'll give you a certain cut of my business if you'll let me set up this highway side toll booth and I'll pay taxes to I'll pay their taxes to you. I'll give you a cut of my profits. And the highest bidder won the job. And this guy is exploiting people. He's cheating people. Preacher Darren, you don't know that. He's a tax collector. Just spell. Think about it. Just spell. T-H-E-I-R-S. That spells theirs. You'll get that in a minute. Just think about it. There he is with a lucrative business. And he would, maybe he's, maybe he would charge them a certain fee, exploiting them, cheating them, probably taking bribes. You know, hey, let this through, don't let this through. Let my business have a special favor here. I mean, no telling how much money this dude is making and he's just sitting there in greed each and every day. And his countrymen would consider him vile, corrupt. I mean, he's taken from the Jews and given to the Romans. He's taken from the, the citizens and given to another country that's put them in, I'm getting pretty close to home right now, don't you think? That, that wants to burn their flag and have opposition against them. And just, I'm just telling you, it's a little bit scary right there, y'all. You're going to get in Facebook jail, preacher, here, and I may. But I'm just saying he was greatly despised. He was considered a traitor to his very own country. He's considered lower than an unclean animal, lower than a pig. And he's considered the worst of all sinners. Now that block, he's flawed. He's marred. He's defiled. He, it's at that very point that Jesus found me. Preacher, I wasn't cheating people. Really? Preacher there and I wasn't lying. Really? Preacher there and I wasn't cussing. And Really? Was, was you a sinner? I mean, what, what was you doing when Jesus found you? Were you unworthy? Were you, were you undeserving? I mean, are you really even saved? Because if you sit here tonight and act like you was ready to fly off the glory the whole time, you probably never got it. Before you can ever get saved, you've got to first get lost. You've got to be a sinner before you'll ever get saved. I've talked to people and said, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. How do you know you're a Christian? Because I was born in the United States. Well, la-di-da-da. What does that mean? I was born in a Christian nation. That makes me a Christian. 
I was born in a Christian home. Didn't make me a Christian. I went to church every Sunday, nine months before I was born. Figure that out. Didn't make me a Christian. Amen. One man said, he came down the parsonage when I lived there, said he, he had a baptismal certificate. Said he was a Christian because he had a baptismal certificate signed by the preacher. Well, all that means is you took a bath in front of everybody with your clothes on and the preacher knowed about it. That don't mean anything. I'm telling you, did you get saved by the grace of God, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection? Is that what found you and saved you? When you placed your faith in him? Yes, thank God it did. Nowadays, I know what year we're living in, 20-whatever it is. And nowadays, if you tell people they're sinners, man, they'll look at you and get so mad at you. Don't you call me names. I'll call you. I'm telling you, when Jesus found me, I was a hog, gut sinner on my way to a devil's hell. A shameful sinner, amen. All right, let me move on. Thirdly, still saying here in verse number 14, let us see the surprising summons. The surprising summons. I like to keep track of what time it is so I don't preach till about 9 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm getting stirred up. Look with me here. Verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, follow me. What about that? Thirdly, I see a surprising summons. Jesus, I believe, was walking along that seashore with multitudes around him, teaching them and instructing them. And I really believe that Levi had his tax booth, his, his, his place to collect his taxes. I believe he was within an earshot of hearing what Jesus had to say. And I believe the Bible says that faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. For him to have faith, he's going to have to hear the Word of God. And as he sat there at the receipt of custom, he's heard Jesus teaching, Jesus preaching, and the more Jesus taught, the more under conviction old Levi got. I'm telling you, he got in bad shape. And then finally, the Lord, now listen, the crowds, he's not just stopped for the crowd, he's passing by because his intent is to get right on there to talk to Levi. And when he gets there, it's a surprising summons. I mean, it shocks, it startles, it surprises everybody. He looks at Levi and says to him, follow me. Now the crowd heard it. The multitudes gathered. Oh boy. You know how it is in school? When your teacher calls your name, you know it's probably not going to be good. Right? If my mother ever used my middle name, I knew it wasn't going to be good. And when he said, follow me, I think the crowd said, oh, finally, he's going to get straightened out. Finally, he's going to get it. Finally, he's going to rebuke him. Finally, he's going to tell him how scandalous he is. Finally, he's going to take his, all his monies and he's going to strip him of his monies and give us back what he's taken from us. I mean, finally, old Levi's going to get it. And Jesus just looked at him and said, Follow me. Now, you think about that for just a second. Follow me means if you're sitting there, imagine I'm sitting here at the tax booth. I'm just receiving my money's coming in. And Jesus says, follow me. That means I have to leave where I am. 
I've got to get up and leave my seat of comfort. I've got to leave my lucrative business. I've got to leave my riches, my wealth, my extortion, my, my sitting in worldliness. I've got to leave all that mess behind. He's just got to get up and walk away from it if you're going to follow Jesus. Now the crowd thought, surely Jesus is going to straighten this guy out. He's finally going to get what's coming to him. Jesus intends this not to be a scolding or a reprimand or a rebuke. Jesus intends this to be forgiveness. <laughs> and grace and mercy. I'm telling you, the first night the Holy Ghost spoke to me and told me I was lost, I was ashamed. When I started figuring that, I was embarrassed. I thought the preacher knew. I, 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 you know, I was in miserable shape. And when the Lord started dealing with me, I got afraid. I'm going to ask you all a question. Was y'all afraid? I was scared absolutely to death. When the Holy Spirit started speaking to my heart, I just knew, oh, you in trouble. You being a bad boy. Man, I was in bad shape. My old Levi, he hears Jesus speak and all the crowd says, he's going to get it now. He's in trouble. He's going to get what's coming to him. But the Lord intends it for grace. And the Lord intends it for good. And the Lord intends it for mercy. Thank God for that. Here's what he's saying. Attach yourself to me. Become the object of my mercy and my grace. Serve me. Follow me the rest of your life. Don't just follow me for a moment, but leave this place. Never come back to it. Always serve me the rest of your life. Glory to God, don't come back to sin. I believe follow me is a divine command. It is a sovereign summons. Be a follower of Jesus, not a follower of rituals, not a follower of religion, not a follower of ceremonies. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Enter into a personal relationship with the master. Become converted. I believe this invitation was an invitation not for rebuke, but it was an invitation for repentance. Let's just say this. If you're sitting in this seat of sin and of misery and of shame and of worldliness and of loneliness and of greed and of unbelief, if you're sitting there and Jesus says, follow me, you can't just follow him with one foot and leave the other one in worldliness. You've got to take both feet out of it and wholly commit your life to follow Jesus Christ. Glory to God. That there, there is repentance there. It's an invitation of faith. You, you must leave what your mind and your, your head has always trusted and you must submit and you must surrender to the commands of Jesus Christ. Follow me. I'm going to tell you something. That night I sat way back. and When that invitation was given, I knew that I needed to get out of my seat and make my way forward. I collapsed beside the front row. It was as close as I, would get, I could get, but thank God Jesus came to where I was and he saved me right there. The minute that faith, you place faith in Jesus Christ and you get up out of your seat, amen, there you were, and you get up out of your seat, you say, I'm going to follow him. And the minute you do, 
He's saving you right there, amen. And, and a new, glory to, God, glory to God, a new life begins the moment the decision is made, I'm going to follow him. Amen. When you get up and go, it is a decisive uh, a decisive response. When you do that, you're saved. You're sa- Preacher Darren, I didn't read my Bible where Levi said, save me, Lord. Honey, his action was louder than his words. I had somebody one time that couldn't communicate come to the altar. And I thought, that what they came. Somebody said, well, they couldn't pray. They couldn't, they couldn't ask the Lord. Well, from in here they did. And I could tell the tears were running down their face when they got up and the hug they gave me and the hands was raised like, I thought, they got it. That they got it, amen. They got a new life. They probably got it before they ever got to this altar, us bunch of Baptists. They, could have, they probably got it as soon as they got up, intended to go with him. He probably saved them right there. Hallelujah to God. A new life begins with Jesus. Not just a new life on earth, but a new life for the rest of your life. And now, now when, when Jesus said, oh, glory to God. When Jesus said, follow me, you're going to go where he goes. Amen. You're, you're going you're to follow where he goes and you're going to listen to what he says and you're going to do what he says. Maybe not all the time, but we should. Amen. It's a new life now. We're going to follow him for the rest of our days. We're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I thought I've thought, got to think about this. Here this old boy is. He's sitting on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, getting export, import, excise, usage tax. He's sitting at a place of intersection by the seashore. And here the intersection has come into his own life. He's hit the old fork in the road, as we say. Amen. He's got a decision to make. Am I going to sit here or am I going to go with the master? What about that? The man at the intersection had an intersection in his life. Thank God for it. Now, Jesus is calling us a bunch of old flawed marble blocks to a place of salvation to follow him. And you know what he's going to do with us, us old bunch of marble blocks when we say we're going to follow him? He's going to make us to be a masterpiece. He's going to make us to be his transformation and his trophy of grace. Well, i got to move on. Number four. Number, I'm never going to get this. Fourteen. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Number four. Sudden surrender. Do you see it? He heard the Lord call, the Lord invite, the Lord send him a summons. He he heard it. How will Levi respond? I have a better question. How did you respond? I, I see what Levi did, but what did you do? There was a definite day in your life that the Lord found you and said, I want you to follow me. What did you do? How did you respond? That was the greatest day of my life when I decided to respond to Jesus. You may say, preacher, there's the greatest day in your life. That ought to be the day you got married. Oh, I praised God for my wonderful wife. We've married 30-some years. Praise God for it, amen. But it's not the greatest day of my life. 
the greatest day of my life is when Jesus saved me. That's the greatest day of my life. Well, preacher Darren, what about having your children? I mean, you're getting ready to have grandchildren now. And I mean, and my, my mama says, honey, she said, I love my grandchildren so much, I wish I could have them first. I don't understand what that means. <laughs> but I hear grandparents say that, amen. And, and it just don't work like that, does it? It just don't work like that. But, but even still, as great as it was to have my children, or as great as it's going to be to have a little girl born into our family, as great as it's going to be, greater still was the day that Jesus saved me. Man, I can remember it so vividly in my mind. Now, I thought about this. Jesus said, follow me. Levi did not have the option of getting up and saying, let me go home and pray about it. Levi did not have the option of saying, saying, let me go home and get out my books and, and let me see what kind of business I might be leaving behind and how I might calculate what I'm going to get if I make this job change. What I'm currently paid versus what I'm going to be paid. Lord, how much is it going to pay? Nothing. <laughs> but you'll be richer than you've ever been in your life. <laughs> and the retirement plan is out of this world. <laughs> Well, glory to God. He did not have time to think long on it. He, he, he did not care what the multitudes thought about his decision. He's just sitting there. He heard Jesus teaching. He's fallen under the conviction of sin. God's been working. God's been preparing his heart the whole time. And when he heard the Lord calling to him, I believe that it is heart, in his soul, it jumped, it, it, it leaped. It said, what are you going to do, boy? I believe he swallowed right hard. I believe he looked at Jesus and he just got up and he left it all behind. He arose, the Bible said, and he followed him. Jesus, listen, this one. Jesus is passing by. Jesus is moving on. I don't have time to figure this out in the next six months. Jesus needs me to make a decision now I found out. The longer I've been saved, amen, and there's choices and decisions to be made and the Lord's speaking to my heart. I don't have the weeks and the time that I used to have. It seems like the chain has gotten a little shorter. The leash has gotten a little tighter, amen. I want to tell you, you, you do what I say now, man. And when I don't even testify, when the Lord says testify and I don't do it, man, I, I get, I'm worse now than I've ever been. Because I know what to do. Man, I went to a church and I'd, went, I'd never been to this church before in my life. The, the choir was up getting ready. It was already singing. And, and I was sitting there and the pastor was sitting up here in the seat and watching over the congregation and probably getting ready to make some announcements or some prayer requests or something. And I'm sitting there and the Lord said, don't you take a lap. I, I'm going to interrupt their choir, Lord. Take a lap. Lord, I, I don't, I've never really, I've only met the pastor one time and he asked me to come here and I'm just going to take off. Run. I, Lord, run! If you don't run, you're not going to be able to preach. If you don't run, I'm not going to save the soul. If you don't run right now when I tell you to run, don't you ever think about getting up and having my power on you or my blessing on you, my favor on you. I mean, you're disobedient. And the service just started. Well, what would you do? 
Ain't none of y'all running, so he must not have told you. So I kind of stood up, and everybody thought I was going to testify, and they thought I was going to stop the choir, and some of them was just kind of keeled down singing, thinking, I think that preacher's got something to say, and I kind of started walking. God said, I told you to run, boy, and I kind of started jumping. And man, by the time I hit the corner, I took off running and praising God. When I come back, God said, now make another one because you didn't run. You didn't run part of this. You take off and run another one, amen. And I had to run again, and when I come back, I said, I've looked like a fool. People going to think I'm weird. People going to think I'm crazy. And nobody said anything about it. They all watched, and God saved two precious souls that night. Not because I ran, but because I didn't kill the service. I could have killed the service that night. And because if we'll be obedient and do our little part and just humble ourselves and leave the world behind, honey, it's high time you quit worrying about what the multitudes and the crowds have to think. Just go with Jesus, amen. Both feet with Jesus, full force, committed, do what he says. That's not in my notes. The Bible says he arose and he followed him. I believe that in that split second, he made a decision to go with God and immediately, without delay, extraordinarily, he was born again. Guess what, old Levi? We also know him as another name. Matthew became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, the author of of the gospel of Matthew. You see, his little act of obedience led to much bigger, bolder things and the riches and glory far outweigh the lucrative business he left behind on this earth. Well, hallelujah. All right, well, I'm just going to have to quit. You stand to your feet. I was thinking about, I've got more, but Sir James Simpson, I wrote this down, in 1811, he was born and he lived to 1870. He was 59 years old when he died. But in his lifetime, he made a significant discovery. He um, single-handedly, I believe, turned modern medicine up down, upside down. He discovered chloroform as an anesthetic. So people used to try to do surgeries, but they had no way of putting people out of pain or, or losing the sensitivity and, and being able to put them to sleep and man, they were dying. They're trying to work on, they're dying by the thousands. And he discovered chloroform as an anesthetic. And he was able, people was able to start doing surgery, saving people's lives. And he was speaking. He, was, he, he lived in Edinburgh uh, in, in, over in England, Scotland. And he got up, he was speaking at Edinburgh University. And someone said, Sir James Simpson, what is the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? And everybody thought he was going to say chloroform or some other things that he had worked on. This is what he said. He said, that's easy. It's when I discovered I was a rotten sinner. And Jesus is a wonderful Savior. That's the greatest discovery of my life. <laughs> I'm just asking you tonight, sitting at the receipt of custom setting, in a place of loneliness or greed or shame or of misery. Maybe you've not been obedient. Maybe the Lord's got, you've got a decision and the Lord's tugging, the Lord's leading you about what you need to do. And man, you're dug in, you're kicking, you're screaming, you don't want to. And I'm telling you, the Lord's trying to lead you, the Lord's kind of trying to guide you. I'm, I'm just going to ask you tonight, maybe there's somebody here say, Lord, help me 
to quit, drag, help me, God, to go fully committed for Jesus. Lord, you help me. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved or you're watching online and maybe you're listening to this service tonight live or maybe you're going to listen to it six months from now, I'm telling you, you need to do what God says do. I got a, I got a call some, some while back. Someone was listening to a service online. I was saying in the service, I said, if you're driving, you're listening, don't even go through the red light. Pull off now. And they did. They pulled in the parking lot and said, I got to say, preacher Darren, on the side of the road, listen to you preach at Bethel. You thank them people for whatever it costs them to put these services online. Whatever inconvenience it is to you, it's okay. It's been a blessing. Honey, I'm telling you, your testimony, God's going to use it. God's going to use your commitment. God's going to use your walk, your relationship, your obedience with Jesus Christ. He wants to transform you by his grace. And think about it. Michelangelo, man, he worked for two long years. Hey, the Lord's been working on me a lot longer than two years, and I still ain't ready yet. But one day I, amen, I'm going to be in heaven, and I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but one day I will be a trophy of his grace. Seth, don't you come to piano? Maybe there's somebody here, you might come say, God, sin convicting power at Bethel. Lord, give us a good weekend. Give us the power of God. God, give us a good service tonight. God, would you help me to be obedient? Lord, I've got decisions to make. God, I'm struggling right now. God, my family really needs you. Show me what I need to do, Lord. And man, I'm telling you, if you'll come tonight, I believe. And listen, don't come with one foot there and one foot up here. Notice you've got to bring them both. Fully committed, saying, Lord, I want to trust you. Help me, God. Oh, God. Father, as we bow in your presence, Lord, I'll never forget the night that you changed my world. It was the night that you spoke to me. You spoke to me and you didn't give me a summons sending me to hell. You gave me a summons inviting me to go to heaven. How could I be invited to go to heaven? A worthless sinner, an unbeliever, a mocker and a scoffer. And you invited me to go to heaven. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I made a decision. I think I'll just go with God. <laughs> and Lord, ever since then, it's been a change of direction. It's been a new life. Lord, I've not always been obedient. I drag my feet often and try to get back to that old receipt of custom, back to a place of comfort. Lord, thank you, God, that you keep pulling me away. You keep drawing me to you. Drawing me to you draws me away from there. Drawing me to you draws me away from what I once was. Thank you, God, that I'm still being drawn tonight to an old-fashioned altar. I'm still being drawn to call upon a holy God. I'm still being drawn in a relationship that I'm passionate about with my Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, not I just want to go on record and say, I love you. I praise you. I may be an old blockhead. I might be, Lord, just as just as cold as and just as hard-headed as a rock. But God, your word chisels on my heart and around my soul and softens me up to the point to make me obedient. Help me, God, to be an example, a trophy of the grace of God. Lord, for this I pray, your transformative powers 
upon my life, upon this church, bring conviction, a place of revival, a place of encouragement into this church, God. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be an oasis in the middle of the desert. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.